I've titled this message tonight, The Mathematics of Grace. Bo, you want to turn those lights on for us? It's not a calculation based on man's mind. It is far more superior and fully sufficient. See, the mathematics of God's grace go beyond what our minds can comprehend. So tonight, I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 20. And it says there in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Can you go do the two? Yeah, so just the top and the bottom. Now, as I was looking at this portion of Scripture, hang on, let's move on just a little bit longer. Let me get the lights down here for us. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a Daenerys. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a Daenerys. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These were the ones who were hired worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered, no. But he answered to one of them, I am not... Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, first of all, this seems like a very unfair labor practice. Okay? The guys who go work the hardest that spend the whole day, they are the ones that get paid last. You guys that have worked hard, sweated all day, you go to the back of the line. It seems unfair. And some of us would look at this scripture, and I was reading some commentaries on it, and many want to interpret it from the light of this, that this is about the Jews and the Gentiles. This is about the apostles and those who would come after them. But... And then there's even some others that, that talk about this Scripture and they talk about it. Maybe it's those that were saved early and then those saved late. You get the picture of the, the man on, that's next to Jesus on the cross and how he came to Christ at the last there. So, but I believe there's a, a kingdom principle that God wants us to, to see here. See, if you look in verse 2, let's look at what happens here. The very beginning, the first guys that came up to work, they agreed, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. These guys wanted to negotiate with the landowner. They were not satisfied with just going out and working. They had to make a deal with them. Listen, we'll go do the work, but this is what it's going to cost you to do it. So they made this agreement with them. And so in the midst of this, these first guys that worked the whole brunt of the day, they were not ready to go into the vineyard unless they got what they wanted. Because of this reason, 
They were taking care of themselves. They were willing to work, but on their terms. See, a Daenerys or a drachma, or in the King James it says four pence. It, it's, it's basically adequate to a Roman soldier's pay for a day. So it was enough for them to live on. But see, the, the, the story here is, is what's going on with them is they were agreeing to what would basically be enough for them. So the owner agrees with them. He says, okay, I'll do it. But we have to look at what's happening here. This, this landowner, he knows that the season is coming. And what's happening is, if, if they've got to go pick their grapes, they've got to get them off the vine before it begins to rain, before the, the winter begins to come. This is late September is what he's talking about. And he's telling them, listen, I need people to go into the vineyard. And this reminds me of something of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 verse 2. It says there, Jesus told them this. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. See, there was an urgency to what was about to take place. There is an urgency in the spirit realm today. There is an urgency because we are living in the last days. God is pouring out His Spirit. We are living in that final harvest. And He's saying, listen... I'm, I'm, getting, I'm gathering up workers right now. Those who will, who will say, you know what, I'm ready to do it. Whatever it takes. See, in Idaho, when I lived in Idaho for just a short time in my life, and in Idaho, you've all heard about Idaho potatoes. Well, I didn't know this. There were some things I liked about it. In Idaho, during the harvest season, schools are closed for several weeks. They just close the schools. Why? Because it's, a, it's so important that they get the potatoes out that you know 90% of the people that live there are potato farmers. So what happens is they send everybody. Your son, your daughter, everybody goes to the fields. Everything gets closed. Another thing that they do, some of you young people will like this. They let you drive during the day at 14 years old. Now, some of you parents are saying we're never moving to Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> but... I thought that part was cool. I was like, that, that's neat. The reason they do that is, again, it's all in, in conjunction with the harvest. Because everything floats around what's going on in that harvest time. Jesus is telling us, listen, in these last days, I'm getting ready for harvest. I want you to get ready. I want you to get yourself prepared. Remember, I preached that a couple of weeks ago. People get ready. Jesus is coming. The grape harvest. See, God wants us to be ready for it. This grape harvest, what they had to do was to do it very quickly. They would go out and look for workers. This parable might sound to us as though it's purely imaginary, but it's not. They were take, Jesus was taking it from what He saw around them. See, the grape harvest ripened toward the end of September, and then the rains would come. If the harvest was not ingathered before the rains broke, then it would be ruined. So there was this frantic race against time to get everything ready. So here's this, here's this man. He goes out, and at 9 o'clock in the morning he went out, and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Verses 3 and 4. He, he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you what is ever right. So 
they went. Now, I want you to look at, I, I didn't see this a couple times when, I, I've actually preached this sermon and I never saw this so clearly. See, these guys did not negotiate. The Bible says they went. They were not concerned with their pay. They went. They didn't have to know in advance what they were going to get. They went. No question of what my wage was. They went. See, what am I getting out of this? Do, can I trust this guy? They went. Are you seeing, you, you seeing what I'm saying here? God's saying, listen, what I want you to do is not worry about what you're going to get out of this. Just go. Get out there. Go. Don't worry about what it's going to cost you. Get yourself in position to, so you can see God move on your behalf. Faith that God's justice is always perfect. See, I, His grace and mercy are always sufficient. God in His sovereignty can ask anything He wants of us. Because He can demand all from us and still be just and fair. I want you guys to understand this tonight. See, this relationship with God... He's telling us, listen, don't worry about what it looks like. Your circumstances and all these things, don't worry about those things. It may be, it may be bad, like I said last week. It doesn't matter. Those things are going to, they're vapors. They're going the way. What you see around you, this is not what's going to measure who you are in Christ. Your measure in Christ is what He thinks of you, not what anybody else thinks of you. See, this is the part of God that sometimes we almost, like I've said the last couple weeks, we almost get ashamed of because we're saying, okay, you're telling me, Greg, that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to my family, no matter what happens, I have to trust in God. Yes. What I'm telling you is that these men who went out into the field, they didn't question it. They said, you want us to work? We don't need to negotiate a price. We'll go. We'll go. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I'm with or without, whether I'm filled, whether I'm hungry, I trust Him. My faith is not in circumstances, but it is in Him alone, regardless of the way things look. See, these guys right here, they could have very easily negotiated at least three quarter of a denarius that day. They were do it. Because they had just, they, they didn't work, go to work at 6, they worked at 9. Now I want you to get the picture of the clock here. Their day went from 6 in the morning to 6 at night. Some of us, we don't know what that looks like. <laughs> Some of us don't even want to work an 8 hour day. They work 12 hours. So at 9 o'clock, these guys were beckoned to come in. At noon, there were men hired again. I want you to think about this. These hired laborers were the lowest class of workers. See, slaves and servants were regarded as it being, at least to some extent, attached to the family. Have you seen it down in, at Home Depot in Porterville? Where the guys stand out there with their little bags waiting for, for labor, for, waiting for work, just praying that someone will come by and hire them. These are the kind of guys. See, if you were a slave, you actually had it better because you knew you were going to get three meals a day. In jail was better than being a hired laborer because you did not know if you were gonna, what you were going to have that day, if what you were going to take home for your family was going to be enough. 
See, these people, it's very different with these men. They were not attached to any group. They were at the mercy of chance employment. They were always living on the verge of the starvation line. They were unemployed, hungry, and waiting for someone to hire them. Now I'm going to take a little rabbit's trail here just for a minute. So I want you to stay with that story, but I'm going to go on a quick rabbit's trail real quick. Alright, now I'm talking about a spiritual thing here as we talk about this portion of Scripture. But I want to look, just address a physical thing here. Second Thessalonians 3.10 for even when we were with you, this is Paul speaking, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. As Christians, we should be the best workers. The opposite is true. As Christians, we should be the best renters. The opposite is true. Our work ethic should exceed the world. The opposite is true. When no one is looking, we know God is watching. If you owe someone, pay them back. As bosses, we should be the most honest and fair with our employees. With our finances, we should be a cheerful giver. If you're not giving back to God, you're robbing of Him. I'm not holding you to 10%. I'm going to tell you the New Testament principle. The New Testament model was much more than 10%. Not hearing any amens on this. <laughs> I knew I'd offend somebody here. Let me ask you this. Then the second question is, okay, God's, saying, God's telling us if we're not willing to work, if we're not willing to work, we will not eat. The second part of that is this. What are you working for? The American dream, getting ahead, cars, money. See, we should all work, but the basis of the question is, are you working a 60-hour-a-week job just so you can have a new car, a new house, or a new boat? See, God wants to supply you with everything you need. Not everything you want. He has supplied you with strength, breath, and ability to accomplish everything He's requesting you to do. Alright, now I'm off of that. So I'm back to my message. So verse, verse Matthew, 6, Matthew 20, verse 6 and 7. About 5 o'clock in the afternoon, He went out and found still others standing around. And He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go and also work in my vineyard. Now, I want you to picture these guys here. How stupid would it be to hang around at 5 o'clock? See, I'm going to tell you right now, down at Home Depot, they're not there at 5 o'clock in the evening. The ones that want to work, they get themselves in position at the beginning of the day, and usually by 9 or noon, they've already packed it up. They've given up. But I want you to see something in these guys at 5 o'clock that I did not recognize the first time I saw it, was there was a desperation in them. See, they were willing to stay in position and wait. <laughs> Somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to come. They waited on the Lord. The desperation is was fulfilled. They stayed all day. They waited and waited, sticking around. And in verse 8, it says, 
When evening came, the owner of the, land, the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now, this scripture here, I, just, I found a word that I thought, I don't, I don't know exactly how it pertains to us, but I want you to just see this. When evening came, that word came is a word genoma, and it means born, it means like as, a, as pregnant, coming into being, a change of a condition or a place. What he's saying is, there's a place that you're going to come into that you have not been in before. When you come in with the owner of the vineyard, when Jesus calls you into that place, you're being called into something different. There's something being birthed in you. I know you're not getting it, are you? You've got to follow me here for just a second. He's saying, listen, in the spiritual realm, there's something that's being birthed when I give you a gift, when I pour out my grace, when I give you my grace. It's not a mathematical equation that amounts to what the world has seen. It's a spiritual equation. He says, listen, I'm going to birth something in you when that, when that comes to fulfillment. Get your mind off the money and the things like that. I want you to see it in the spiritual realm. That's what he's talking about here. See, this parable troubles my flesh. It Putting the ones who work the shortest at the front. My natural man seems to sympathize with those who worked all day. They worked like the, these other guys were idle. They, these guys had worked during the heat of the day while the others were shading themselves. Yet they were paid exactly the same amount. See, further, in strict, in strict justice, the fewer hours a man's work, the pay should be less. That's what, that's what justice would say. But the master knew... What was needed. See, these guys that came in at the end of the day that were desperate, if they did not come home with the Daenerys, they wouldn't have fed the family. See, if they hadn't come in with the full day's wages, somebody was going to go hungry. The landowner knew that. The vineyard keeper knew that. He called them in first. I said it before, our desperation, it draws. It, it, it's a draw upon the, the Spirit of God that's within us. It draws it out. The Master knew that anything taken less would not be enough. In verse 10, it says, So when those who came were, were first hired, when they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a Daenerys. Now I want you to think about it. These guys that were working the whole day, they see these first guys. They go up to the front of the line. They're thinking, okay, now, <laughs> something good's about to happen. Okay? <laughs> He's paying them what we negotiated for the whole day. We got something better coming. I'm seeing overtime. I'm seeing dollar signs. I'm seeing things happening. That's what they're thinking. They're, in their mind, they're going, okay, this is how it's going to happen. And they walk up. And they get exactly what they requested, what they negotiated for. 
It says in verse 10 and, verse, and then verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the, of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. See, the scandal of this parable is that we, we all are equal recipients of God's gifts. The scandal of this is that our, our faith is often covered by this covetous and jealousness that we see somebody getting a little bit more than we get or, or somebody getting something that we don't believe they deserve and we, we look at them kind of with this envy, with this, with this covenant heart, coveted heart. Jonah did this. See, it says in Jonah 3.10, when, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. In Jonah 4.1, the next verse, he says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. See, Jonah complains. He knew God's, gracious, gracious, God's grace and mercy. He was slow to anger. He loved his steadfast love. He knew that God was the one who declared deliverance, yet he rejected it for those who were, he would come to preach, it, preach to. I have never seen this before as I was reading in chapter 20. I went back into chapter 19 of Matthew chapter 19. I'd never seen this before. And I want you to see this picture just with me for a second. There's a story of the, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, and I've told this story before. He says, what can I do to be a, a follower? What can I do to be a disciple? And he says, well, you know, have you, have you followed all the commands? And, and he says this to him. Jesus says, then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says to him, I've done all these things since my youth. But the thing is, he, Jesus distinctly left the tenth commandment, which is do not covet. I'd never seen that before. This man, who this rich young ruler who he was talking to, had, 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 been, had wanted all these things. There's a spirit of want that was upon him. There's a spirit of want that's upon us today. Even us as good Christians at times. Those pictures that I showed up there of the houses and the cars and the boats. We, when we see it, we're like, ah, yes, want. I mean, how many of us don't want to go out on the weekend when it's 110 and get out on the lake and go play? Yeah! He said, listen, I'll supply your needs. But if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. He was saying that to the rich young ruler. Specifically, that one was not mentioned. I was like, wow, I cannot believe that, Lord. I'm, how did I miss these things? And then, just a couple verses later, that was verse 18, and then verse Matthew 19, 27, Peter says this, Well, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What will then what will it be for us? See, are you getting the picture here? Why Jesus told this story now? You're the rich young ruler. Peter. We've done all these things. We've forsaken all. Now what about me, God? 
What are you going to do for me? See, it reminds me of the story of little Caleb. We're having Sarah's birthday. Sarah is his cousin, our other granddaughter. And she was getting her toys. And he looked up to me and he says, Papa, what about me? What about me? See, this, this, this parable is for us that we'll get ourselves in position for what God wants to do in our lives. God is generous. God is faithful. But I want you to understand that what He does through our lives sometimes does not always look to the natural mind correct. See, the Christian works for the joy of serving God and His fellow man. That is why we must be... That's why the first will be last and the last will be first. Many a man in this world who has earned great rewards will have a very low place in the kingdom because the rewards were his sole thought. Many a man who, as this world counts it, was poor will be great in the kingdom of God because he never thought in terms of reward, but he worked for the thrill of working, for the joy of serving. It is a paradox of the Christian life. See, who wants if you want your life, you, you have to lose it. If you want to be first, you gotta you gotta be last. If you, you want to really be great in the kingdom, you gotta become like a child. See, that's what Jesus was saying. It looks different than, than what we've seen. We are not in this for what we can get, but what we can give. We have seen a gospel of getting. The gospel is really a gospel of giving. We have it all wrong. God is trying to recalibrate us. The mathematics of His grace are strikingly different from the world's. The system of law is easy to figure out. You get what you deserve. But the system of grace is foreign to us. God deals with us according to who He is, not according to who we are. Are you following me? <laughs> you get it there? He doesn't look at us. He doesn't, he's not looking at who you are. He says, I, I'm looking at everything on the basis of who He is. That's, who you, that's why we get under that shelter we've talked about. Because it is based upon a work that He performed. It is based upon a salvation that He wrought for you. He gives you the ability to work. He sometimes, sometimes we stand in pride of our accomplishments, but He has enabled you to accomplish it. Our very breath is in His hands. Even, it, it evens the whole playing field. See, now all of a sudden we can go, we don't look at others with this covetous heart. Well, look what they've got. Look what I don't have. All of a sudden we can say, you know what, God? It doesn't really matter because you know what? I see that everything was given by you anyway. And, 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 and this, this master is saying, listen, who are you man to question? To question me as God. I am still sovereign. See, we try to put God in a box and we say, God, you have to do everything I say. But he says this, I am still God. I will determine who is, who is like me. There is none. Where were you when I said, hey, land stop here and water begin? Where were you when that happened? He says, you did not exist. He says, I am, I am God. Don't forget it. See, that's, why we, that's what we talk about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. We're saying we're looking at a God. See, we're not looking at a God that we have made with our hands. We're looking at a God that goes abounds beyond our, even our imagination. This world that we see, it cannot comprehend who He is. 
Sometimes we look at others with contempt because they aren't sacrificing enough. We look at them because, God, look at us over here. We're trying to be faithful. Look at us at Ignite. We come on a Saturday night. We come on a Tuesday night. Some of us pray every day that we... God, are you seeing what we're doing? David understood this principle. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David was fighting the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel 33, it says, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud mm, until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. I'm not going to give your names, but there they are. David was greatly distressed because of the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord. The Bible says in verse 8 that David inquired of the Lord as what he was supposed to do. Here he was in great distress. They asked the Lord and the Lord said, Pursue them. Pursue them, and certainly you will overtake them and succeed. So he came to the, to the Bezor Ravine with 600 men. They got to the ravine and they were about to cross over. 200 of them were too exhausted to go on. David and 400 men continued. They caught up with, they caught up with the, the, the Amalekites. They saw them all over the countryside. And God gave them victory just as God had said, Pursue them, I will certainly give you victory. And all of a sudden they began to wipe them out. They got all their, their wives and their children back. They got everything back. Men had to, were, the, the men of, of the Amalekites were escaping to, uh, to other sides, but they were killing them left and right. And God was successful through what they did. And as they were coming back with all the spoils of what they had just done. Now this, this is David and the 400 men. They, got, they reached the Bezor Ravine with where the 200 men had been waiting. Sitting under a shade tree possibly. Not praying in intercession. In 1 Samuel 30, 21, David says this, Then David came to the 200 men who had been exhausted to follow him, who were left behind at Bezer Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go with us, we will not share with them the plunder we have recovered. However, each man may take his wife and his children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and He has delivered us. Into our hands, the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is the same as those who went into battle. They will be alike. David made that declaration. See, I want you to understand tonight is, Jesus is saying, listen, it's not you didn't do it. It's what He's telling us. He said, listen, I gave you the ability. I gave you the breath in your, your very lungs to be able to do what you're doing. It isn't about you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're part of this picture, but it's truly about what I'm doing. See, I put you in my vineyard. I gave you the ability to work in that vineyard. It wasn't of your own accord. I was the one who went out and found you. See, when we get that picture of what He's done for us, that's the mathematics of grace. 
It does not meet with the, with the, with the natural mind. When you understand who fights on your behalf, it's not yours to start with. See, He has given you the strength. Take no pride in your accomplishments. It's His. It's through Him. It makes no economic sense. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But I want you to understand tonight, God says this, listen, I'll put you there. Those of you in these last days, I'm putting you in my vineyard. I've given you the breath, the strength, the ability, the knowledge. It's not of your own accord. It's of me. It's always been about Him. It will always be about Him. It will never be about me. There's three things I want you to take from this. First, it's a promise, the, the promise is a gift. He's given it to us. Secondly, a warning that God's manner of distributing His gift is not necessarily the same manner of men. What you, so what we see in the physical, you're going to have to erase those things and you're going to have to fix your eyes on the spiritual. Finally, the third thing is that this parable illustrates the principle that, that God's manner of giving is not like man's practice of giving. What is it that you want that you don't have? What is it that someone else has that you want? Maybe it's gifts. Maybe it's things. Maybe it's talents. Maybe it's... Maybe you sit in your, your pew every week and you say, you know what? I could do a better job than that guy up there. <laughs> you probably could. <laughs> but you know what? He says, listen. Philippians 4.12 I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I like what the New American Standard says, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What is it tonight that we've coveted? Can you go turn the lights off for me? What is it tonight that you've coveted, maybe that someone else has? I remember a guy, when I lived up in Lake Isabella, he had a tractor. It's like, oh Lord, I really want a tractor. So I can go out and do stuff in the field and play, you know, it was fun. And I remember... I didn't go steal it or nothing like that, but I looked at it enough that I wanted it. See, there's things in our lives that maybe we lack right now. And we look around us and we say, man, that guy doesn't deserve that, Lord. He's, he's, not, he's not even faithful. He's foolish. Yeah, the Lord knows that. He's saying, though... He's worried about you and your race and what you're running. 
He's not looking at anybody else. See, we got to get our eyes upon our race path. You know how when they do, they run track, they got their own little lines. See, we got to get in our lines. I can't look over at Billy. I can't look over at Greg and see, is he in front of me or is he behind me? I got to get in my race, my line and run my race to the fastest the, and, and, and to the strongest and the perseverance that I can do running that race. I can't look at everybody else. Your eyes have to be fixed upon Him. That's what He's calling us to do tonight. 